Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. This is our live edition, and I'm happy to have another gentleman here with me tonight. Now, if you're uh, a fan of his podcast or podcasts, I should say, uh, you've had opportunity to listen to Fred before. But uh, this is Fred Carroll. He hosts two podcasts, like I said, there's Within the Head of Fred and one that he co-hosts with a former live guest here on Focused on Forward, Scott H. Silverman. And so, uh, and they've been kind enough to have me on Ending the Stigma and uh, having a chance to chat with them there about uh, the importance of mental health. Uh, so very glad to have you here with us tonight, Fred. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So what I was hoping that we could talk about tonight, and I know that, you know, we talked a little bit pre-show about this, about uh, some of your background and some of the things that you've gone through in life. Uh, and, and so here on Focused on Forward, we, we try to talk about what people go through, uh, what got them to the point of moving forward, and really where was that moment where it crystallized in, in your head within the head of Fred that I need to move forward with my life and, and, and try to work around these things that life has thrown at me. So uh, to the extent with which you're comfortable sharing with us, tell us about your journey. Where did it start? What happened and how did you move forward? And I'll jump in from time to time and interrupt you with some questions. Well, I could do, it was the summer of 1969. <laughs> first was born. Man had landed on the moon. The Jets have won a Super Bowl. The last Super Bowl. No, so I started out like everyone, I lived in Connecticut, still do live in Connecticut. Now I'm an author and a screenwriter and a podcaster and a father and somewhat successful in my own right. But my beginnings were very, you know, they were different. They were staggered. I, of course, I had two parents like everybody else does, divorce and then remarriage. And that's where everything kind of started to change. So at about six, seven years old, new man entered and I should say, before I even get too into this, because I know it's live, I still have a relationship with my stepfather that is much better today than it was then. Okay. So it's not, it is possible, but I'll explain that further towards the end. So sure. I went through some abuse, physical abuse as the only boy, it was all girls. Otherwise I went through a physical abuse that you know, it was the 70s, probably 76, 77. You didn't really have the opportunity to speak of it. It was kind of more of a, you know, how the difference between today and yesterday was. Right. Now, when the teacher, when the teacher back then said your kid is acting out, they beat your butt. You know, mm -hmm. now they go after the teacher, you know. Right. They, well, why aren't you teaching them? So it's a different world. But I was physically abused and it was never seen. Nobody ever seen it and nobody did anything about it. Nobody changed it. No teachers, no, if you want to say pastors, no, or any of that. And I kind of just floated through and I had a speech impediment. I had a severe speech impediment as a child. And obviously I don't have it any longer. And my mother used to tell my mother used to say that I had a speech impediment and I haven't shut up since. 
So when I moved into this and then at about eight years old, I went through a sexual abuse. It's, it's a unique situation. It's a different situation. It was a babysitter that was doing things with me. I always say, I know it doesn't make it sound, it, it isn't better or anything, but I always think in hindsight that it made it better that she was a female versus being a male. But I know that doesn't make it right. Correct. Anything, but it, in my mind, and that's my opinion, that it feel, I think I suffered less because of that. I think it would have been harder for me if it was a man. Okay. And, and that was, you know, she was about 16, 17. And I was about eight and that left more of an imprint in my life um, from a negative standpoint than, than I initially knew I, at eight years old, I had no idea. I just thought this is what you do, you know, basically guiding me if you want to put it that way. And where do you, you know, nobody knew about that. I didn't speak of it because it wasn't, even on my radar, it wasn't even in my toolbox to know how to, I didn't, I wasn't harmed per se physically. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the physical abuse. It was better than the physical abuse, but it was still abuse. And you don't, you know, and then all that's in your head now. So mm-hmm. you, I'm eight years old with a, with a speech impediment, being physically abused, being sexually abused, and nobody's changing anything. So the every day was kind of a, almost like a nightmare. I didn't know where it was going to turn, but I wasn't. I still had that same comedy has always been a big thing for me, movies, comedy. And I always used it to my advantage, but that even backfires on me. And I'm sure you've seen that before where I tend to speak very openly, obviously. I'm very open with my thoughts, very open. If you listen to my podcast, I have no shame in any of this any longer. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just a very, the way it forms you, because it pushed into my teen years where I got away from all that, but it made me very sexual in a sense. You know, it made me, um, I, I had always viewed sex as a, in a teenage years, as just a weapon almost it had no meaning there was no love behind it or anything because that that's what i was taught at right it's how it was how you were introduced to it it was my introduction to it so i i used it as a weapon and that that's not good because until you do fall in love you don't realize that you that makes it even better so i end up having children very young uh, in high school i had children a child and then I'm married by the time I'm, I turned 21, I'm already in a marriage, a bad marriage. Okay. At that. And to an addict, I, I was never an addict, but she was, and that's where I lay. So what's the next question after that? Okay. So you, you started getting to the, clearly you got to this point where you, you realized that something had to change. Something had to be different for Fred somewhere. Where was the point where you started saying, okay, I need to make this different and better for me? Well, I never, I think, you know, and all this is in hindsight, and now I'm 51 years old, and it is, I've never gotten in trouble from a law perspective. I was always hardworking. I'm not educated. I only have, I would say, a, I, I never finished a ninth grade ever. I never finished the ninth grade. So I have an eighth grade education technically. And people often ask me why I even admit that. And the reason I admit it is very similar to, you know, we all have a grandparent in our life somewhere that went to the third grade, you know, fourth grade and stuff. I mention it because I have nine, 10 books out Tuesday. I got a new book coming out Tuesday. It's available on Amazon. Um, Tuesday is my 10th book being released. I've written seven screenplays. I've been in good jobs most of my life, but usually they're hardworking jobs. Mm-hmm. So all that, but when it changed, I'm going to guess, and it, it's less clinical than anything. It's more of a guess. When my ex-wife 
decided she didn't want to be a mother any longer. She just, for a lack of a better word, she dumped the kids on me and said, here you go. And she disappeared. So okay. I, at, at a young age, I was a single parent. You know, I had two children. They were both preteen. One was a preteen and one was three, I think, at the time. And I was forced to be a father for the first time in my life, a true father. Sure. Which also backfires on you because it's hard to, it's a hard job. It gives you respect for single mothers, put it that way. It's a hard job. To oh, yeah. But it's also harder when you're living a certain lifestyle. You know, I was out of a marriage. I was living the bachelor life again. I was having fun and going out and all of a sudden, bam, world all changed. But I think it changed me for the better in the long run. Okay. So it's, at any point, did you seek counseling for what had happened in your younger years? I, I never had. And honestly, I never even spoke of the sexual part the sexual abuse until about a year ago or two years ago. It was somewhere around there. And what makes that an interesting story is the girl friend requested me on Facebook. Interesting. Cause she was a, you know, her family lived across the street from mine. We, I grew up with her brothers and all this stuff, but she friend requested me. I haven't, I haven't seen her in 30 years, maybe 40 years. I don't know. And she friend requests me and she sends me a message and she says, Hey, Freddie, how are you? How you doing? How's life? All this stuff. And right there, I was able to solve all my problems in one, one message. I said, I'm doing great now, considering how you mistreated me. Just blindly said it. Now to this woman's credit, she apologized. She didn't deny it. She didn't. Okay. And that was the therapy. There was the therapy right there. I was able to get it off my chest and tell my. Um, uh, you confronted your abuser right there. I, I confronted the abuser and she didn't decline it. If she had denied it, I probably would have been all mad and angry. Like now I made because that's what my mother thought, because I probably had mentioned it. But parents always dismissed you back then to ah, you're making it up. Ah, you're just. No, it was just a smack, eh, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. And then you just be quiet. You know, you just stop talking about it because you're wrong. Your mother said you were wrong. You're wrong. And that's not anything against my mother. I won't say she was the greatest in the world. Sure. She, I don't think she knew half of what was going on because I wasn't talking. But the, the answer is no, I did. I've never seek therapy in any way. I've used my writing. If you read my books, you could tell. I have damage, you know, okay. for my characters that there was damage, but I never did um, go into therapy and I'm not against therapy. It's just not for me. Cause I did, obviously I've been to a therapist. I remember, uh, I think it was a girlfriend at the time had asked me to go in and check it out and I didn't like it. I wasn't comfortable with it. I didn't like talking to a stranger. I could talk to a strangers here and tell the story. But I didn't like the one-on-one. -on -one. I don't like the silence that they purposely put in to make you talk more. I, I couldn't get comfortable with that because I talk. I, I like to fill the gaps. Sure. So yeah, I, I get that. I, I think for me, and, and not that I had to go through some of those things, but when I sat down for therapy, that was one of the things I had to get used to. Was where those moments of silence where they would ask a question and then just kind of shrink back in the chair and and not that I'm afraid of silence, but you know. I like to have a conversation where I'm talking and the other person's talking and where there's an interchange. Um, but I got lucky. I got a pretty good therapist. She's, she, I think she kind of picked up on that kind of quickly, but uh, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your recovery from these things. So you had this opportunity to confront your, your sexual abuser. Right. And that, that gave you some closure in that, in that regard and how you allowed you to start moving. Right. It made me right. It, it made me, I wasn't making it up in my head. Yeah. Like people said, I, it made, it confirmed. Yeah. That yeah. It happened. Absolutely. So it cemented it in your, your mind and heart and allowed you to move forward. So that's got, that's good. That's awesome. But what about the physical abuse? How did you move forward with that? Well, I ended up moving out 
of that household and left my mother and went to my father. Now, my mother is passed on, so I I do regret that I've never been able to sit down with her and ask her why it was allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she was being abused. I don't know of anything else, but why was it allowed? And But then I always, my father, who is alive, um, I wonder why he did nothing about it. He was aware of it too, you know, because I try to put myself in that. I'd be in jail if it mm-hmm. was my children. And I guess it, I hate to, dis- I don't like talking ill. First of all, with my mother being passed, she can't protect herself verbally. She can't tell her side. Right. My father being alive, I don't, I'm not trying to be rude. He, he's still my father and I love him. So it's just questions, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, why, why did this happen? Were you aware? I mean, I was telling you, did you understand? Did you, yeah, it's just a lot of questions. So writing in movies saved my life, honestly, because I'm able to write, I'm able to put, I get, you know, you make your characters into the heroes. You beat these villains and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, in, it's interesting. I don't even wish I had a different life in a weird way because I think where I am today is so comfortable for me that without all that, I wouldn't be here like I am. I right. And, I, and I've heard that said before. And I think that sometimes um, people who go, who are strong willed individuals, and who are, are of strong will and a strong mind. And I, and I certainly get that feeling from you every conversation that you and I have ever had. Um, I think some people are able to take those weaknesses and make them into strengths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it enables them to be able to kind of grind through the things that would stumble others. It allows you to keep trudging forward. Uh, would that be accurate for you, you think? Is that uh, what- well, it does. It, it, there, of course, there's cons to that, too. Um, because when you're in relationships and stuff, you a woman wants you to be open with her and be talk about things. I don't talk about that. I don't do it with my children, and they complain about it. I, I've always had trouble saying I love you to somebody because I was always one of them guys that said, "Well, I show it. I show it to you. Why do I have to say it if I'm showing it to you? Right? I'm paying the bills. I'm taking you out to dinner. I'm doing that. You know, that's how my mind thinks. And being as open as I am also could be a deterrent because it could, it comes off like you had mentioned with the two podcasts. I do come off one way or another. Somebody's out there saying, wait, which one is Fred? Which guy is Fred? Because one of them is R rated comedy, which I will argue I use as my therapy to solve these problems because comedy. But my other one is, a serious show where I'm more serious. So which guy is Fred? And I thought about that because I figured talking to you tonight, this would all come out. They're both me. It's both me. Sure. Both of those people are me. I'm as immature as a three-year-old or as serious as a 70-year-old. And you mm-hmm. never know which one you're going to get. Yeah, I can appreciate that because I have two shows as well. One show is on a comedy lane. And I, you know, as my daughter so lovingly likes to point out, I'm, I have the maturity of a 12 year old middle school boy. Um, and I'm like, well, I play to my strengths and, <laughs> you know, and then I, then I do this show, which is a much more serious tone and a much more serious nature because we're talking about serious things and things that people go through. And, and I, I you know, I, I don't think that you have to be limited by, you know, they're all, they're, it's all part of me. I have a serious side. I have a, a, very not so serious side. And I think that you can have all those things and they can all be part of you. I don't, I don't think that those things have to define you. Um, But I think, I think it can be confusing for some people because some people want to put square pegs around people and say, okay, this is what you are. You're what's inside this, this box, this peg. Right. So, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think for me, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is, um, and this is because it's also the kind of person I am. You don't have to wonder about what you're thinking. If <laughs> I like that about you, um, you know, if there's it, if, dangerous, it could get you in trouble unless you're willing to step up when you're wrong. Because, and I, that's one of my strengths. One of my strengths is if I make a mistake or I'm wrong, I have no problem telling somebody I screwed up. Yep. I, I didn't mean to say that. 
because my mind works so quick. And in this world that we're living in today with the, between the sexism, racisms, all the things, when you're talking from within the head of Fred, things could come out very wrong or be heard very wrong. Mm -hmm. I've, I've borderlined on all those things. Now I'm not racist, but I've said things that could be portrayed as racist because I'm saying opinions on a cuff off. Sometimes it's for comedy reasons and mm -hmm. it misses. And the sexism part always comes in when we're doing sex education stuff on my comedy podcast. Right. But it's, you got to balance it out, but you have to be willing to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. This is the truth. This is what really happened. I was wrong. And usually you, but you can only do that so many times to the right. same person. <laughs> to right. The same person. Right. Well, yeah, you have to be willing to eat the crow. If you, if you, uh, if you threw it out there, you got to be able to you know, be willing to you know, take it back. If it happens, you got to be, you know, I've always said, I'm, I'm a big guy. I've got broad enough shoulders. I can admit when I'm wrong. Yeah. So, um, you know, but my it, wife, my it, wife likes to remind me of that from time to time. It's so. important to be able to do that, but you can lose fans. But I still think from the podcast standpoint, my listeners understand who I am. I have mm -hmm. a little, it's a little bit of that Howard Stern shock jock type stuff. My co-host helps greatly having Jennifer on the show. She's a girl that just could handle me. She could handle me because when I do get out of line, she has no problem telling me I'm yeah, she, shuts, she shuts you down. I do like that. <laughs> she has a way to shut me down and I'm okay with it because it's all for show at, on that show. Ending the stigma is just a little, it, we're brand new. We're still trying to figure things out. We don't know what direction to go in. Cause quite honestly, people aren't listening like we thought they would um, at the time. So if anybody's out there, they could do that. You go to ending the stigma and we're live every we we moved it to every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're live okay. on Facebook and throughout. But if they go to YouTube or wherever, they could find us. And I'll put a link somewhere after the show into this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll talk more about that here yeah. in just a minute. We'll talk a little bit more about both your shows in just a minute, actually, because I like I'd like the the guys to uh, or everybody who's listening to to get a, a listen in on on your shows. I think they're both. The both valuable and in different lanes. Okay, so let's talk about. Okay, so we, we've talked about how you've identified and, and got to the point of, of moving forward. So now let's talk about how you maintain that on a day to day basis. What are you doing on a day to day basis or a daily basis that helps Fred to continue to be focused on forward? Well, I try, I do live pretty much by the karma rule. I'm not religious in any way. So in fact, I'm an atheist, but okay. karma rule is still, it'll come back and bite you. So I'm, I do my best every day to be better than the last day, every day, no matter it's being nice to someone, being polite, doing this, helping somebody. I try to win points. I'm a point taker. I like the points, but, um, need less already do great shows but need less fred mick gotta love mick <laughs> is he back can't he go on vacation again uh he just came back from vacation so he wanted to remind us so he's he's all hopped up now yeah, he's he's this is what a mick with energy looks like yeah so i don't i don't have like an agenda every day and stuff covid threw a big loop you know through mm -hmm. or big because pre-covid i had I had fallen into an opportunity where I actually got laid off from my construction management job in Christmas, right before COVID hit to Christmas, 2019. And I made a conscious decision that I'm going to take a year off from work and burn through my savings, but I'm going to chase my dream. I'm going to get into the movies, into the screenwriting more. That's my true passion. Write some okay. I'm going to take some shots, but then COVID came and it's thrown a wrench into everything that I planned because movies got shut down. All that stuff went to the side and I'm still out of work. You know, I can't go back to work because that shut down. I'm laid off. And now I've been out of work. I haven't worked since then. I have not gone back to work yet since then. So okay. I'm burning through my savings. 
That's for sure. Um, but yeah, on a daily basis, there's nothing, I don't have anything set, but I've never had an addiction. I've never been a, I'm not much of a drinker. I'm a, I mean, I probably still have beer left from the Super Bowl in my refrigerator. I'm not a drinker. I don't smoke. I don't do any drugs. And I'm, I'm proud of that in a way because I, of what I deal with on the other podcast, I'm aware how easily you could fall into that. And I fit that category. I really should be not should, but I could be a statistic. I, oh, I very easily. Yeah. And I never had to, but I don't know. I, I kind of live for each day. I don't worry about, you know, I'm not worried about next week. I worry about tomorrow. Okay. Is there a, a certain ease that that gives you? Not having that, does that reduce it? Because like some people who go through these things, there, there's everything kind of piles the anxiety on one thing after the next, after the next, because they're already kind of battling some of those demons in their head. So for you not having that, that worry and, and looking, you know, kind of working for the day and, and, you know, kind of thinking about tomorrow, does that help reduce uh, some levels of anxiety for you as you move forward? Well, this is a another pro con thing. I have zero anxiety, zero, zero depression, zero anxiety. Nothing bothers me. Nothing flusters me. Now, my daughter will argue there are certain things. First of all, time, time management. Okay. If you, if you tell me to be somewhere at quarter to 12, I'm there 15 minutes early. I will never be late for anything. And that is tiresome. So that's a type of OCD, I guess, more than anything. But, yeah, but, yeah. but anxiety wise, things just bounce right off me. I don't let um, breakups bother me. I don't let bills coming in. If I, if I have the money, I pay them. If I don't, oh, well, I'll pay them when I do. doesn't even bother me. I don't even just out of my head. I sleep like a baby every night. No problems at all. And it drives people crazy sometimes. But there are cons to that. And people don't want to deal with it, that, you know. You got a little flustered when you had me on your show. <laughs> right? Mick is definitely back from vacation. That is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we need to send him back to Jersey. <laughs> on vacation to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. So that, so what's the, what's the con of that? Cause those all sound like pros to me. Well, they, you would think they are, but as an adult, 51 year old, you should worry about those things. You should worry about the bills that are coming in. You should have some anxiety to pay them, but I'm a screw it. I'll, I'll do it. I, I always land on my feet. You know, it's a very unique gift, I guess, but one day it's not going to be there. It's just, maybe I'm dealing with it now being out of work as long as I have. And Maybe the karma is switching a little, but for the most part, yeah, no anxieties, no, no issues with that. I, I go to bed, I wake up, I do what I have to do. I'm in my office almost all day. I write all day. I podcast all day. I do whatever I can. And the, there's still cons to it though. There's, you know, people want to know you care and they're never going to get that out of me. I'll be just, oh, well, you know, right. Okay. You take me to Disney World and I should be excited. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. I'm level. Everything's level because I learned, you know, when you don't know when the next beating's coming, you do learn to be, you don't cry anymore. There's no more crying because it doesn't hurt anymore. There's no pain. So there, okay. that's an issue that I deal with. My kids get on me about that. I never cried when my mother died. Never cried. No emotion in it. Not because I wasn't emotional towards her. Just doesn't hit me that way. You know, when I do cry, when I watched a breakfast club alone or something, movies, movies saved my life. Movies affect me. Music affects me. All those things affect me. Real life things. Not so much. I'll get Terry eyed every now and then maybe watching a soldier come home in a video. Sure. But only when I'm alone. You're never going to see that. My kids never see it and they want to see it. 
and it's something I got to deal with. And maybe that goes to your therapy question. Maybe there is therapy for me for that because they do need to be told that I love them. They do need to be told. Sure. You know, I care and all that. So. Yeah. But life has taught you to keep your defenses up. Life has taught you to put those, those borders around you because those are the things that protected you uh, when you were younger. So just because you've confronted those things in some way, doesn't mean that, that those things are gone. You're still going to. They're there. They're, oh, yeah. they're, they're there. They're, they're part of you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk now about, you know, we talked about, you know, the things that happened. We talked about how you confronted them. We've talked about how you've, um, you work on moving forward every day. But one of the things that I like to ask the following two questions to every single guest that's ever stepped foot uh, on the show and ever sat in the seat that you've sat in. Well, virtually sat in the seat that you sat in. Um, So looking back on the entirety of your journey, what is the single biggest lesson that you have learned? Single biggest lesson. See, I'd like to put it into a negative. I'd like to give you something positive, but my trust issues always tell me not to trust anything. Don't believe in something. It's almost like I learned that. That's the biggest thing that I learned. And it's worked for me. But it's not how I want to live. That's the problem. I don't want to go around not trusting anybody, anything, and just figuring stuff out. Because it makes me, you know, maybe my biggest flaw, and I'm sure there's people out there listening that could understand this, is my control I need to control every aspect of every single thing, whether it's from the podcast. I don't delegate. I don't delegate any of the power away. I try to do it all, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if that has anything to do, but you know, some of my greatest, I don't know what my greatest single lesson was, but I know who the greatest single person was that changed my life. And it wasn't too long ago. And his name was Dr. Richard Selzer. Okay. Dr. Richard Selzer was a surgeon. I met him when he was, I believe, 81 years old. And I was his best friend for three years. He was truly my best friend. And he he lived for three years after I met him. Okay. He was a doctor. He was an author. He was the man that told me I could be an author. And without him changing my life, it... He, he just was the one. He was the one that had my back and told me it was okay to write books. Okay. So before I ask you the, the next question, let's talk a little bit about that friendship, if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind at all. I love talking about him. All right. So how did, how did you meet Dr. Selzer? So I became a groundskeeper at a very high-end um, retirement community here. It's mostly... Um, famous, famous actors, famous musicians that are in well into their eighties and nineties, end of life play type place. Okay. You know, but I became the groundskeeper there and obviously you meet everyone. That's where I met Hal Holbrook and all those people that I worked with, but most of them were Yale, Yale related. And Dr. Selzer was the head of Yale creative writing. Okay. He was in charge of Yale Creative Writing. He had an office at the Beinecke Library, which is, if nobody knows what that is, look it up. It's amazing. It's a rare book library here in New Haven. And me and him just connected. And before you knew it, I was sneaking into his apartment. While I'm supposed to be working, I'd sneak into his apartment (laughs) and we would read books. He would read passages from his new books or whatever. He was very successful. I mean, being a surgeon. Mm -hmm. He wrote borderline horror. It it was borderline horror because he wrote about being a surgeon. You know, the war, during the war, he spoke many languages. He traveled in the United States Army as a surgeon, very MASH-like. But he also had Broadway plays that he had written. He had movies. Um, If if you ever seen the movie The the Lighthouse, that was... That was something based on after he had passed, but he also took what made him famous. The most famous was he took Edgar Allan Poe's 
final story. Edgar Allan Poe died three days after starting his latest story called The Lighthouse. And, you know, they found him as drunk and stuff. Dr. Selzer took the story and commissioned it and finished it. Oh, neat. As Edgar Allan Poe. So that was one of his more famous. And I'm, I still have a relationship. So our friendship was spent around just, I mean, dinners and stuff. And he was an alcoholic. And I wasn't even aware of this. I never saw him drink. I didn't know he was an alcoholic. But he was okay. hiding it from his wife and stuff. Very successful. And he, he was just my friend. He was there for me. He was one of these guys that talked like a man um, when it was just me and him. But then the minute his wife was there, he was a totally very proper man, gentleman and stuff. And then she'd walk away and he'd, you know, flip her off or something. <laughs> very, very tiny man. But he truly was. And his wife still today, I, I have dinner with her all the time. I still go visit her. Um, we have dinner used to be once a week. Now it's like been a year since I seen her because of COVID. Sure. We have, we have a relationship. We continued that relationship and he, the guy was just a saint to me. He, he gave me so much in his, the best thing he gave me was he asked that I was the last speaker at his funeral. Oh, wow. So. I was able to go on after the president of Yale university was me. And I was a nobody, nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm a nothing. I'm a groundskeeper. Knew him three years. I'm at the Yale lawn club, which is this fancy place. And I was able to speak, but he had one request. He wanted me to read a chapter of my book that was coming out to all his dignitaries. Oh, wow. And then he left me books. He left me um, copyrights of books. He left me all these things that he could have easily left to his children if he wanted to, but he wanted to leave them in the hands of a writer. He believed in me. That's what I needed. Yeah. So it sounds like he was the impetus that, that made you uh, kind of, you know, have that little bit of uh, self-awareness of who you were and who you could be. And, you he know, confidence, a lot of confidence. He, he had no problem telling me I was, I made a mistake. The one lesson he taught me that I like to tell people is he came to a book signing for my first book. And that's where I met Hal Holbrook and all them. They were at my book signing and I go to the book signing and he's sitting next to me. So a lot of people are coming to see him, honestly, sure. but he's directing them to me. He's playing the role. And somebody came up to me and then another person, then another, and they all said, Oh, I loved your book. It was amazing. Great story. And I would say, eh, it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I do. You know, I would dance around and he pulled me aside and he said, when somebody tells you they love your book, the proper reply is thank you. That's it. <laughs> he said, the minute you start doubting yourself, you're now telling that person they're an idiot because they like you. You're sure. telling them they don't even know what they're talking about. You're, and you just lost a fan, whether you think you did or not, because now they're like, wait, maybe it's not that good. The author doesn't even think it's good. Why would I think it's good? Eh, maybe he's not that good. And now I learned just to say, thank you. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. But I spent a lot of time making excuses of I was basically protecting myself. That goes back to the abuse. Sure. You know, when somebody tells you, you did a great job, you're making sure you hedge all your protective corners. Mm -hmm. and you're just saying, well, it could have been better just to tell them I'm going to try harder. Watch me. Watch me now. And it, you develop thick skin writing books. Right. But that all makes sense because of, of you know, your past. And, and like you said, you're you're putting up those blockades. So, yeah, that makes sense why you would have why you yeah. would have done that. And sadly, the only sad part is. The last conversation me and him had his last words to me, he was very ill. They were keeping him on alcohol because they couldn't take him off it. They were afraid he'd die without alcohol. Okay. So giving him a drink. And he, me and his wife went out to dinner and she said, would you like to come see Richard? So we went up to the hospital room where he was staying and the guy gets up because he's very proper. He's got to get up out of bed to shake my hand. But he's got dementia at this point. He has no idea who I am. And she says very loudly, she goes, 
She goes, Dick, Fred took me out to dinner tonight. And he got right in my face and he told me to stay away from his wife. These are the last words. <laughs> Those are the last words. But it's the dementia. You know, he had sure. no idea who I was. So very nice. Yeah. So everybody out there could look him up. You know, Richard Selzer, it's S-E-L-Z-E-R. Amazing. Okay. I balance, this is how I balance people's fame. You know, he he probably wasn't as famous as you would think, you know, just off of what I said. But when he died, his obituary was in the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, the New York Times, and um, Miami. So whenever you make it into those papers as an obituary, you were something. You were something. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you my second question that I ask everybody. And I, I think I kind of know what the answer might be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's the single greatest piece of advice you ever got? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's other advice out there that I've gotten. Let me just think real quick. <laughs> so, the good thing is you don't actually, I like that you don't pre-interview. Like you didn't tell me this was a question coming up. I don't, I don't like doing things like I like putting people on the spot because you probably get a more honest answer. I think so. You know, it's less organic, but I don't know. I've received a lot of good advice, but lately the best advice and a man, I hope my daughter's not watching this. The best advice I've been getting lately is from her, from my daughter, from my 20 year old daughter. I'm going to need her email address. So. I don't even want her to know. I don't want her to know that I'm telling this, but she has been so strong through all the stuff she's dealt with and having me, you know, like I, I think I told Mick this last time or whoever I was talking to a few weeks ago, I said, my kids didn't get the best option. They got the only option and it was me. <laughs> there's, a, there's already struggle there. Right. But I did pretty good with them pretty good they're alive you know and they both work i should let me point this out real quick because if my son's watching maybe he could understand this a little better if he hears me say it live my son called me last night to tell me that he's getting married tomorrow okay he didn't call me two weeks ago to tell me he's getting married in two weeks so i could get a plane ticket and fly out and be a part of it so i want him to know on record on video that I'm not happy about this because I earned the right to walk him down the aisle so him and his husband could get married. I supported his lifestyle. I support him to this day, but I wish him luck still. I wish him luck. And he better have a good video and he better have a better excuse. So I'm telling him <laughs> this on live video. My son did me wrong. That's a wrong move. So I don't want him to feel regret. I want him to be happy tomorrow. Okay. Do what he's got enough. Do what he's got to do, but I'm not happy. Not happy. So make it up to me. And there I'll, you go. He knows my K I'll take cash. <laughs> <laughs> my affections can be bought. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So excellent. So yeah. So it, it's clear to me that uh, in your own way, uh, you've navigate had to navigate through some things and that's how we all do it. We all do it in our own way. I don't think there's any one set way for someone to navigate through so whatever trauma they've gone through. And clearly you've gone through some mental and emotional and physical traumas. Um, and so I think in your own way, you've handled these things the best of your abilities. And so it's left. And I do think you look forward in life and, and you, you, you know, you, you don't that, Okay, let's put it this way. You talk about the things that, that have happened to you, and you're quite frank and open about them, uh, but you're not stuck in a rearview mirror where you're always looking at them. Don't, don't revisit them. I don't right. revisit it. Yeah. Like I told you uh, off air, I still have a relationship with my stepfather now. He's changed his ways. I'm not going to make excuses for him, what he did. We've never spoken of it. He's still involved in my children's life. He supports them greatly. Um, okay. And it's okay. He he's allowed to be better too. It's okay. He doesn't. He he shouldn't okay. be killed or demonized for this. But I didn't forget. Sure. Give a little, but I'm, I haven't forgotten. Mine is more about questions. I always just needed to ask the questions, and I never asked the the person the right question. I haven't. I wasn't able to ask my mother 
these things. I mm-hmm. thought here forever. People aren't here forever. So maybe that's the advice I could give to somebody is get it off your chest now and ask the question. Get it go. out. It's so much easier. Okay. Well, you know, I have to remember too that forgiveness is is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. Mm-hmm. If you choose to forgive somebody for what you've gone through or what you've been put through, that forgiveness is for you. It helps you to be able to move forward. It, it's not about them. It's about you. Yeah. So, and that's the way I see that situation with, with your stepfather well, is that it definitely helps that he's an elder gentleman now and I can beat his ass. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not that part of it. I'm not afraid anymore. Right. No, I get that. <laughs> I'm not All right. Control, so. Okay. Well, let's talk. Uh, we've got a few minutes left here in the show. Let's talk about some of the things that you're doing now as, as grown up Fred as Fred Carroll, the, the man that sits in front of us. So uh, earlier we talked about a couple of podcasts that you were part of. We talked about, uh, and as the the, the uh, ticker goes across the bottom, within the head of Fred, I put that as the show title for tonight. Uh, but that is one of your shows. Um, and then the other one is called Ending the Stigma uh, that you co-host with Scott H. Silverman. And you co-host uh, within the head of Fred with Jen. So tell us a little bit about each of those shows and what they're about, where people can find them, all that kind of fun stuff. Well, Within the Head of Fred is Within the Head of Fred. Everybody can find that and they can judge for themselves. That's either uh, you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. And I'm fine with either way. And it's very, one thing about Within the Head of Fred is, even though it's from a comedic standpoint, I still think our discussions bring up good topics. We basically talk about the things people aren't talking about. Now, we'll talk about sex, but I think it still becomes educational. Whether or not it's for you, it's still something you're going to learn from it. So, But getting to ending the stigma, because that's more important from a human standpoint. Okay. The other one might be to make you laugh and have some fun. But ending the stigma is more about stigmatizing from the name. We're trying to create a platform where we no longer look at people with mental health issues and just call them crazy. We don't call them because it just stigmatizes them. It puts them on a different burner than you and I, or Mm -hmm. they don't get the help they need. I'm a big proponent that a lot of our problems could be solved by mental health, solving mental health first. I think it's a lot easier from the gun control thing to solve the mental health problem than to solve the gun control problem. I think one will, help the other. It's never mm-hmm. going to be solved, but we won't. Okay. Talk. I don't get into that. Um, but suicide was the biggest a suicide prevention, I should say, was my biggest reason for starting that show. And Scott kind of helped push it along because after he was a guest on Within the Head of Fred, he reached out to me and asked about doing a show because he liked the way we bantered and all that. So that kind of pushed it. And but Suicide has always been suicide prevention. Once again, suicide prevention has always been something that was part of my life. Uh, you know, it started at 10 years old. I had a neighbor that took his own life. And then all through my teenage years, through my adult years, I've had now I've had friends who have lost children. So I've always had a passion towards suicide prevention you know, even in a comedic side of it, I'll always donate money to it. It's just something that I think is very solvable. Mm-hmm. If, if we just give a shit about it, it's solvable. Okay. Sol- How do you say that? Solvable. Solvable. Yeah, let's, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Not bad for an <laughs> author, huh? Yeah. That's why we have spell check. Yeah. And, <laughs> and editors. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, You know, and Jennifer, who's on Within the Head of Fred, is a part of ending the stigma. She's not on as often as we would like because of our scheduling and stuff. She works so much more than me and Scott. We're both COVID lockdown. But we brought in Mel, the science gal, who is a friend of, I think she was, was she on with you? No, no. When I was on, it was just uh, you and Scott. Right. I think I read some of Mel's stuff while you were on. I I think so. Yeah. Well, now she's been on the last three weeks where she comes on and gives scientific facts to it. Like this past week we did, we, we went into a whole episode on the Demi Lovato, California sober. Oh, right. 
we went yeah. to pros and cons of California sober and kind of fell on. It was a really interesting conversation. It just, it went in because Mel is 25 and a fan of her and me and Scott are two old men who really don't care about that type of music. She was able to open our eyes and we trust her because she is scientific and very bright. She really impressed us with what this girl really is going through in her life. So, right. But I, I'm not going to pretend that I could stop any of these problems that are going on in the world, but I think we could do it. Oh, I'm surprised Jeff hasn't met De um, Demi Lovato. I'm surprised he doesn't say I know Jem Demi Lovato. Yeah, he usually does. I, wor I worked with her once in Detroit. That's what I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. Me and her. I, was, I opened up for her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very interesting. And, you know, the whole show is our, our theory is to be able to let addicts. That's where it started with addiction. Let them call into the show. So sadly, we're not getting the listenership that we thought we were going to get. So anybody out there that just, wants to help and share and all that. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I love it. God, Jeff. Uh, but um, <laughs> he's my favorite. He's still my favorite Jew. Still, <laughs> still. Right. So you, I know that you guys recently moved nights. We talked a little bit about that earlier on in the evening. So what's the advantage of going to Wednesday night for you guys? Well, we really, we were doing Fridays. But Scott was right. You know, Scott is a former addict, a recovered addict. So he understands it a lot better than me. But we were going on at 830 on the East Coast on a Friday. And he was more like, quite honestly, if an alcoholic is, he's he's 18 bears in by 830 at night on a Friday. He might right. have had to work at two or three. He's right to the bar with the paycheck. We need to hit these people midweek when they might be in between uh they might have had a bad weekend so they took a few days off and now mm -hmm. they're struggling trying to get into the next weekend so we figured wednesday early seven o'clock which is four o'clock west coast that's another problem because we're going across the united states you got to hit everybody so we figured seven o'clock fit well and i do see a bounce up in numbers it's just we haven't had that one show where the right person saw it, shared it, and let the other people take it, and you know, because that's all it is. It's a marathon, right? Right. How and many I, How many episodes are you in now? I would say we're about eight eight episodes in, and we really okay. have a solid format. We have no, there's no script. The only thing we started doing was going in with an idea, whether we're going to talk about suicide, we're going to talk about depression, just so we could have focal points. But this, the show goes off the rails in different directions because we, and quite honestly, we have a lot of different opinions, which is also good too. We're trying to sell it as human beings. We're just humans like them. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to offer, we don't offer advice. We're right. not doctors. We're not there to solve the problem. We're just there to listen to your story and guide you into a direction that those people could create the pain. right that's the same thing i do here i you know i you'll never hear me say well you should go do this or you should go do that i'm not a doctor i'm not a trained uh counselor or anything along those lines i'm just trying to shine a light on a problem and if somebody else was going through a similar issue give them an opportunity to see that somebody else has gone through it and can and can find their way you know and i think much the same of of you know that's how i view ending the stigma as well with you and scott and and you know uh, the rest of the crew is that, you know, you guys are there shining a light on the issue. And if somebody's calling in, you, you give them, you know, support that they need somebody to talk to uh, in their time of need. And and then if somebody else is listening, they, somebody else can go, well, this person has, has had to deal with it. They're they're going through this, you know. Yeah. Well, the one maybe I can, too. One thing I I won't say it's the easiest thing. I don't know if you run across this on your show. Because I have the comedy show the crossover has been difficult because you could go to within the head of Fred and contra hear a complete contradictory story that I said on ending the stigma. So people have to separate the real from the fun you right? Know, sometimes. And I have to learn 
it, it's causing me, I'm getting letters. I'll, I'll put it that way from listeners who aren't happy with me doing a drug, they call it drug counseling type show because they want to hear me do the, the fart jokes. They want to hear the, you know, that's what they know me as, but they also know I'm not educated because I told you that. And I tell everybody that, so right. they, so why would I have any advice for anybody? So my answer quickly to that is we all need to do this. Every single person. That's how you change this stigma is right. the three-year-old needs to know it's not okay to call that homeless man any different than the guy that lives next door to you. He's right. Homeless. You know, he needs help. We help him. Right. Not always safe, but your neighbor's not always safe either. Just because you have a house doesn't mean you're safe. Right. Make you more dangerous or more safe. Makes you more desperate, perhaps. But we need to start teaching from the young age. So every single person, educated, uneducated, especially uneducated, needs to understand that nobody's different from anyone. Just treat everybody human. Be nice. Be be as kind as you possibly can in all situations. Right. You know, and just let live and let live. Right. So, you know, it goes back to how do we end the stigma? Well, we talk about it. You can't, you can't, you know, take something out of the darkness and put a light on it if nobody knows about it. Right. And, and so, you know, that's how I look again, how I look at, at your show. I look at it very much that way that you guys are, are talking about topics that may be difficult for some people to listen to for some people to be involved with or, or, or be around. But I think that's a very important conversation that needs to be had. So I'm hoping that more people will start watching you guys on Wednesday nights, seven o'clock. You got Eastern. So, yeah. So, uh, on YouTube and Facebook, correct? YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on eight different platforms somewhere. But it, okay. the, the most important one for us right now is if people go over to the YouTube page, just type in ending the stigma. You should be able to find it. If you could just subscribe, subscriptions help. You don't have to, it costs nothing. You just watch the videos as you, and they're all available. All the shows are available there. I'm a subscriber. I'll suggest people go do it. I, I love your guys' show. So thank you. And also, oh, I, I think you guys do a really good job over there. The Facebook group page, that helps a lot. Um, that's also just type in ending the stigma and you could just join automatically. But we appreciate everybody's support. We appreciate your support. Well, thank you. All right. So we got just a couple minutes left uh, just to change gears real quick because I want to make sure we got this on there. You mentioned this also earlier. Let's talk about the book. What's coming out next week? So next week is my first published book as a publisher. I'm in the book. I'm also an author of the book. But as a publisher, I started a publishing company, an uh, indie publishing company, and released an anthology called The 70s 8-Track, which is eight authors who are writing stories about 70s songs, eight, eight individual 70s songs. And they just write a story around it. Now, they... Originally, my original plan was take the story and whatever vision you see from the lyrics and the music, because I believe everybody sees something when they hear a song. Right. I took a very dangerous path with my story, something I've never done before. And I took the lyrics and just wrote a story using the lyrics. So throughout the story, I highlighted each lyric in order of the song, which made it very difficult. This is the first story I've ever written without a plan. In other words, I sat down, put the song on and just wrote. I didn't oh, know. Interesting. I had no characters name. I'm not going to say it's my best story I've ever written, but it is interesting. It's very short, very short story on my end. For me, it, it was only, it's only an 8,000 word story, but there's eight stories in it. It's, it's it's a full book. So that goes on sale on Tuesday on Amazon. Seven okay. track. It's available in hard soft cover and ebook. Okay, cool. And so I'm assuming that if uh if they were to go look up now you have a, a Facebook page as an author as well, don't you? Yeah, author Fred Carroll. Okay. Same with yeah. Instagram. Yeah, so make sure guys that you guys check out his work, not only on within the head of Fred, check out please 
uh, ending the stigma. If you're a fan of this show, I guarantee you'll be a fan of that show. Uh, Fred and uh, Mel and Jen and and Scott, they do really, really good work over there. And I, I couldn't be prouder to to say that I've been on that show and had a chance to, uh, to be part of it. Uh, but then also check out uh, Fred's work as an author. Um, if you like what you've heard here, I'm pretty sure you're going to like what you what you read. So, uh, Fred, thank you so much for being on Focused on Forward today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us. Thank you. And we'll see you again next Friday right here on Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at Podcast FOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.